Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. Kind of becoming a cook, it was a lot of this food I wasn't familiar with. Uh, I like specifically recall like being a cook, 18 years old, working in a restaurant, and asking somebody like, what is this vegetable? And they're like, that's a beet. <laughs> You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm senior editor Anna Huesel, here with editor-in-chief Matt Rodbard. Today, Anna is talking to Dave Rizzo, the chef and co-owner of New York's Yellow Rose, home of New York's very best sheet cake. Their spin on Texas sheet cake is totally legendary. We've definitely talked about it before on the show. Legendary, legendary. We also got to talk about what makes the yellow rose flour tortillas so unique. There's a really cool bread baking technique involved. We also talked about some of the chaos of adapting to pandemic era supply chain issues and just why New York needed a Texan restaurant. Here's Anna talking to Dave. Welcome to the Taste Podcast, Dave Rizzo. Thank you. I noticed the Yellow Rose is often described as Tex-Mex food. And I'm kind of curious about like what you think about Tex-Mex as a category, as a label, and sort of like how you think of your own cooking, just like with respect to Tex-Mex. That's a great question. Um, I feel like... It's this identity where I've never really called it Tex-Mex. We've never, like, you know, growing up in my mom's house, she wasn't like, I'm making you Tex-Mex breakfast. It was just breakfast. And I didn't realize that it was a whole label of Tex-Mex until, like, I really moved up here. Um, And so from that, it's been this exploration of what, you know, people think they want you to cook and what you actually want to cook. And then versus the things that are around and available. What is San Antonio's food scene like, and what were some of the elements of that food scene that you wanted to bring to Yellow Rose? Hmm. So San Antonio has, they got a culinary school maybe about like 12 years ago, and so ever since then, they've they put it into an old uh, empty beer factory that they put a bunch of restaurants around it, and has really like sprung up this really exciting food scene, in my opinion. Um, and from that, you being a young cook, kind of going around San Antonio, you've eaten all these places, you kind of get the world kind of brought to you the same way in New York. Same, you know, you get to walk around, and you get to go eat all these different things. That, that happens in San Antonio in a very small way, only like within the last 10 years. So before that, it was, you know, I guess, quote unquote, just Tex-Mex or food that was from that area, Mexican Texan food. Um, and so kind of becoming a cook, it was a lot of this food I wasn't familiar with. Uh, I like specifically recall like being a cook, 18 years old, working in a restaurant and asking somebody like, what is this vegetable? And they're like, that's a beet. 
<laughs> and so there's just this level of where like you know not it's just like a meat and potatoes kind of place but it kind of is sometimes um and it's just a lot of food that we're just used to and so i don't know i think it's expanding i think it's growing and i think it's an exciting time to like be down there you must have sort of found in new york since opening yellow rose a lot of fellow texans like who come for you know the bean and cheese tacos and for a bottle of Lone Star beer, that sort of like nostalgic taste of home. Um, what part of Texas did you really want to bring to New York? Like what were sort of like the elements of your home state that you really wanted to see reflected in the restaurant? So when we first got here, we've been living here for about six years now, um, five or six years. Um, and when we moved here, I just assumed that there was going to be a place to get a bean and cheese taco and a guisada taco. And so I was like looking it up on my phone and it wasn't here. And I was like kind of shocked because I'd only, I had always, you know, I'm born and raised in San Antonio. I lived there my whole life. Uh, the idea of not having that was kind of, you know, it's like taking away part of my personality in a, in a weird way. And so I was a little like disheveled by that. And so that was something I was, you know, the, the idea of Yellow Rose and the idea of like, putting this restaurant that Christiana and I have always talked about is something that like we can enjoy as well. Like I want somewhere I can eat my bean and cheese taco or like eat a guisada taco. And so uh, it turns out there's a, a lot of people in New York City that also want that as well. Um, there's also levels of people that just want, you know, margaritas and like nachos. And sometimes we don't give them that and they're upset. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of like, it's for me and it's also for them too. Where like some restaurants, it's like, it feels like we're just here 100% for the customer. And I, I totally appreciate that. But for this concept, it's kind of for both of us. In the seven years that you've been in New York, has there been, has more Texan cooking popped up in the city? And are there more people doing some of this like super regional style of cooking? I, I think so. In in San Antonio or in Texas or in New York? In New York, yeah. In New York. Um, I've definitely seen, like, I mean, not, not even, like, regional Texas cooking, but, like, you know, Ursula, for an example, like, they're doing New Mexican-style burritos and, like, and food from around that. And there's a lot of parallels to that as well from, like, Texas to New Mexico where it's, like, this, like, northern Mexican cooking essentially is what you're talking about. Um, and there's places, like, you know, people are doing, you know, flour tortillas. People are doing breakfast tacos now more so than when we first moved here. Uh, it's out there now. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the flour tortillas for sure because it does feel like in the last five or so years, a lot more places in New York are making their own flour tortillas and sort of spotlighting like the the craftsmanship that goes into a really good flour tortilla. Was that kind of like always part of the vision for Yellow Rose? Did you know that you wanted to have this sort of like highlight of of homemade flour tortillas? I knew that it had to be a really good flour tortilla, and I think we're still working on it. Like, you know, every time the weather changes, you know, if there's humidity in there, you know, the dough's a little bit wetter, and so we're always kind of constantly messing around with it. Sometimes, you know, where the dough is, like, resting for too long, we're always trying to mess with and manipulate the dough to where it's the tortilla that feels most like home. Um, I think that making a tortilla that feels like it's from San Antonio and then a tortilla that's using good grains and a tortilla that just eats really well is something that was the first thing that was the, like even before the business plan, it was like, we got to make a good tortilla. Uh, and when I was working at 
superiority burger, like Brooks would just let me use the kitchen after hours just to like work on that stuff. And he would order me whatever I needed. And we would just, he he was also like semi-invested in it as well. I felt like. How do you actually make your tortillas at the restaurant? Like, do you have uh, just like what what's involved in like making that volume of flour tortillas? So and also actually, how many flour tortillas would you say you're making like per week? Every day we make about 800. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like how do you pull that off as like a in a restaurant kitchen? How do you make 800 tortillas? We we have a machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the machine or yeah, we have the machine. And so we actually got the machine from San Antonio. It's kind of this, like, you throw this dough ball in there, and it presses it, and it shoots out this half-cooked tortilla, and then we just finish it on the grill to order, which is, like, totally worked out. But, you know, before that, when I was doing pop-ups, we would literally hand-roll tortillas all night. And so I could only hand-roll three or 400, which is a lot. My hands would be just, like, swollen, and we would just be so tired. We'd, like, hand-roll, we'd get a bunch of friends over, and we would just try to hand-roll as many tortillas as we can. Then from there, we finally got a machine, and then now we got the machine that we actually use that can actually pump out, you know, 800 a day at least. Uh, But for the process of the dough, we use Sonoran flour from Barton Springs in Austin, or outside of Austin. We use a little bit of King Arthur flour. We make... We do this kind of technique called like a tangzong, which is usually used hmm. for Japanese milk bread where we make a roux for it. And that kind of breaks down a lot of the proteins for it and makes it a little bit more supple. Uh, and that's kind of our like secret ingredient right there for the tortillas. And then just salt. Is anyone water. else doing a tang tangzong for tortillas? Like I've never heard of that in this I context. I don't think so. It's something so I'd cool. always thought about wanting to do. We kind of use it for a lot of things. It's such a good technique. Um but I don't, I, I don't think anyone else is doing it. Is I usually there, try not to tell anyone that we're doing it either. <laughs> <laughs> Trade secret. This yeah. is like when Fanny Gerson was on the podcast, she said that her secret to her donut dough is like an, a super specific type of tea that she adds just a little tiny bit to all of the donut dough. <laughs> and it just adds like this tiny like, you yeah, know, exactly. that you almost can't taste. But that's the trade secret. But no one yeah. would do it because right. it's expensive and takes work and, you know. Right, right. And so when when I was little, like watching my grandmother make tortillas, she would use scalding hot water. And I think there was that same concept of like you're using hot water to break down the flour while you're mixing it. And so I'd always remembered that, but I didn't ever want to boil that much hot water for, you know, a batch of 400 tortillas. So the idea of just, you know, cooking the flour in the water in a pot kind of gets it a little bit more specific. It kind of gets it down to the gram and you always know what you're looking for as opposed to just dumping scalding hot water over some of this flour that's getting cooked and some of it that's not getting cooked. So that was kind of my like idea of that. And your tortillas are vegan, right? What what yeah. do you use for the fat? Oh, we use grapeseed oil. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's neutral and it kind of, you know, we've we tried Crisco for a little bit, but it's just kind of weird. It <laughs> yeah. just it, like I don't know. Especially when you're you're using that much of it, it just feels wrong a little bit. Um, in my opinion, I don't know. I might be wrong. But grapeseed oil might also be wrong too, but I also it it works for us. One of the reasons I love to bring friends like from out of town to Yellow Rose is that you always have some vegan things on the menu. You know, the tortillas are vegan. You have an awesome vegan queso. Is that sort of like part of your ethic as a 
chef or was that like more of a business decision sort of catering to your New York audience? I think it's a, it's a there's a lot of layers involved with that. Um, growing up, being involved in like a DIY punk scene, I would always throw like house shows at my house and there would always be these bands coming in and I would always, you know, at least half of them were always like vegetarian or vegan. So I'd always, I don't know, there's something about making something that everybody can eat no matter what um, that made me really happy. Uh, and then working at Superiority Burger, obviously, there's something that has to do with that, you know, going to the green market and kind of spending the last four years focusing on vegetarian cooking kind of shifts your mentality on the way that you approach food. And then lastly, just the idea, like I was saying, you know, growing up in San Antonio, that is a little kind of meat heavy, you know, there's tortillas, there's eggs, there's potatoes, but like there's no like like super vegetable dishes. There's a handful of vegetable dishes, but they're not the thing that you eat every day. It's not part of this diet. And um, I wanted to be able to make something that felt like this is something that you could eat back at home, but it's vegan and it, there's vegetables in it. And it's just a play on something. Um, so, and it makes it fun for me too. And you just don't want to eat meat and potatoes or cook meat and potatoes all the time. It's nice to, you know, if, if we're two blocks away from the farmer's market, which we are, you're going to want to use that. And sometimes things are just vegetarian. Some things are just vegan. Sometimes things are full of meat. Um, it's, it really depends on what we're feeling that day, what we have around and what we are trying to execute. How have you balanced sort of between like sourcing those ingredients from Texas or from other parts of the world, from, Me from Mexico too, with using these local New York ingredients? And also just like in the last two years, dealing with all of the supply chain turmoil and like <laughs> all of these unexpected factors, um, like yeah, I guess like what sort of your menu breakdown between like the really consistent things that you know you can count on and like the sort of like evolving dishes that depend on what you happen to have in the kitchen that day. Right. So I think like one thing that I realized, too, is that when people kind of think of Yellow Rose, they're like, oh, it's like a Texas restaurant. And in fact, like we are, but we're also like a very like New York restaurant in the sense that we're using a lot of products of like the East Coast. We're using beans from upstate. We're going to the farmer's market. We're, you know, we're working on all these purveyors like around us, um, which kind of gets overshadowed because I guess like the Texas ego is a little bit <laughs> bigger and bolder. Um so I know I I just try to find things that are exciting and that are fun and that are um made by good people, you know, like we were using beans from Rancho Gordo for a long time and through the supply chain issues, it wasn't even their their issues. It was just like FedExing and being able to have all these boxes come in, it made more sense to get beans from New York State. And we found a purveyor that does really good pinto beans upstate. And so we were like, well, like, obviously that makes sense. And so now we it, it was a little bit of trying to break things down. Like, what can we get? What makes sense? And what doesn't make sense all at once? So, like, we get, we get honey from Texas. We get honey from upstate. We get beans from upstate. We get beans from California. We get flour from here. And we get flour from Texas. So there's like a lot of layers of it and like some things go into some things and some things are for specials and some things are um, just part of the menu. Yellow Rose also feels like such an East Village restaurant to me. Like it does feel very New York-y, but it especially sort of feels at home in the East Village. 
How did you land on that neighborhood for the restaurant? And were you sort of thinking about other spots in New York, other boroughs? Yeah, we thought 100% that we were going to open up in Brooklyn. We never thought that like Manhattan was even in the picture, to be honest. But it just, we did a pop-up there in that space. And the people that were, that had the restaurant previously, they believed in the concept and they were willing to like let us sublease. And so we just kind of walked into it and then slowly built into it, which is a very lucky situation and also just like a very COVID situation where there's just all these empty restaurants and we had a concept that we were willing to kind of throw out there and that we had a little bit of following. Um, and so, yeah, we were just, it just, we just got very lucky. We, I had worked in that neighborhood for, you know, over four years. I never thought that we would open up a restaurant there. Um, it just oddly fell into place. I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like, a luck of the draw. I don't know. Is, I mean, after working at Superiority Burger in the East Village for several years, what do you think is changing right now in the East Village, just like as a restaurant scene? I don't know. A lot of things have closed, which is really sad. Um, There is this restaurant, Hags, that's opening up that I'm really excited about. Um, And they are doing Pay What You Can on Sundays. It's... um, this amazing couple that we've just met through the restaurant. So there, I think there's these things that are sprouting from, from I guess, this pandemic that maybe will give more people opportunities that normally wouldn't have given gotten the chance. But, yeah, there, you know, there's also all the heavy hitters are still there, too. Um, I don't know. It's It still feels like we're in the middle of it a little bit, too. Like, we're still kind of waiting to see what what it's going to look like. Yeah. And I mean, restaurants in Manhattan have gone through so many phases of takeout only, outdoor dining only. It's like constantly changing. It truly is. Uh, It's kind of insane. They are opening a Taco Bell next to us. So there's that. Wow. I know, in the East Village. (laughs) Are you excited or Um, (laughs) threatened? I I I was always rooting for them and I always would talk about it and kind of in like a silly way. And then they opened up next to us, and I was like, oh, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> it's, like, becoming reality. But, you know, I don't know. It's going to smell like Taco Bell next to us. Yeah. I mean, that could be a good thing or a bad thing, like pulling people in from the smell, but then giving them <laughs> something the a little of, like, better. The Supreme. Yeah. People <laughs> come into our restaurant mistakenly. Yeah. That would be a good deal. <laughs> yeah. The last thing I wanted to ask you about is um, – the sheet cakes at Yellow Rose, kind of, you know, I think like a sleeper hit of the menu. I've had a pink sheet cake that I think was had strawberry in it. And then you do like a very classic chocolatey sheet cake with pecans on top. Um, why aren't more restaurants doing sheet cakes? Like you never see this in restaurants. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, the, the sheet cake was definitely like... Day one, it was like on our first pop-up menu where we were like, we got to do a sheet cake. And our friend Darcy, who is the old pastry chef of Yellow Rose, and uh, she like helped us like develop the the cakes to where they're at now. Um, But yeah, the idea of having a slice of cake was always like on the on the table. We're like, we have to have that. I don't know why. It's kind of it's kind of a good, you know, especially if there's a bunch of savory cooks in the kitchen. It's kind of a good thing to have because you can just build one big cake. And then just have it. And then all you have to do is just trust that the guy can cut it. Um, 
and that's really it. There's not really much to, to it, um, except that the cake has to be good, and you have to build it, too. And, yeah, and yours, I feel like, is a little unusual because it's layered, right? Yeah. And not all sheet cakes are layered. No, I think that I was mean, something that we were like, we, we, I, we did it once where we had the one layer, and it was like, this looks kind of sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then we put the second layer, and it's like, oh, this looks like beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a, pro- a proper sheet cake. There's like layers into it, but uh, I don't know. We eat it all the time. It's really good and like just good idea, like easy to pull off for a restaurant. Yeah, it's a good like if you if you need to make a something for like a potluck, just just bring a sheet cake. Totally. Thank yeah. you so much for being on the Taste Podcast, Thank Dave. Thank you so much. Anna, you have a story idea pitched live right now. What is that idea? Okay, so it's like a movie and it's fiction and it's not actually a food story at all. It's not a food article. It's a dramatization of like one of these scammer type stories about a guy who uses his company card at a major publishing company to buy a lot of those, like, Italian restaurant statues of, like, the Italian chefs. Winking, usually. Yeah, like, winking, sometimes, like, holding a tray with, like, menus on it. Just, like, buy so many of those. Like, Just his office, in, in, and at some point, he w- can't even open his office? Like, yeah. It's like, it's, like, forced, yeah, it's, like, a hoarder kind of scene. Yeah, and, yeah. like, he doesn't know how to stop. He doesn't know how to get out of it. He's in too deep, et cetera. This is a good idea for a taste-limited series. I'm thinking, you know, one of the streamers, big streamer play. Get Netflix on the line. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, Flix is not doing so well these days. Maybe more of a HBO Max. But um, anyways, Anna, before we get to the show and after our brainstorming session, we have an announcement to make. That's right. Sadly, this is my last episode of the taste podcast anna's last episode i mean i don't know why i said that in a (laughs) the air horn voice yeah air horn voice um i'm yeah let me just say let me take two minutes right now um this is tough for me um because not because i'm losing um an incredible colleague who has helped shape taste you and I and with with others, but mostly you and I for the past five and a half years into what it is today. Um, it's not because I'm I'm not sad because I'm losing a great colleague. It's because I'm losing a friend. I we've shared an office in multiple spaces, and we've just had a really good time working together. I feel the same way. I'm going to miss these conversations in the <laughs> studio too. I mean, I've been an editor at Taste for five years now. And we've been hosting the show together for all these years. All these years. And, and um, you have some exciting news that you'll be announcing on, on one of the social media sites. Um, what can you say right now about your new job? Because it, it's a great job. And I just want to be clear. Um, I think this job is incredible. And you're going to – I can't wait to read and follow you. Oh, I guess I maybe just said it was something involving words. <laughs> <laughs> My new job is something involving words, something involving editing. Yeah. And it is something involving food. I can tell you that much so far. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll make sure to, to not mention it anymore because there will be maybe a competitor. But no, I'm just kidding. That's all a joke. It is a great opportunity. But really, I'm going to miss um, co-hosting the show with you um, and having you in the office and, and sharing a lot of snacks. 
Likewise, and good luck just auditioning replacements for <laughs> your co-host on the Taste Podcast. I know it's going to be like a lot of rigorous auditions. Oh, yeah. Like hotel lobbies just yeah. in every major city in America, basically. Oh, yeah, big open call. Yeah, we're going to definitely have um, yes, thousands of people applying and and. We'll have some chemistry. We'll have some chemistry tests, some chem tests, and singing too. Like, why not? <laughs> Just like make sure they have a lot of skills. There'll be some skills, but in, in seriousness, like I will be rolling solo for a little while as host of the show. Uh, and the show is it, we have some incredible sh- um, interviews, including ones that you've done yourself, Anna, uh, rolling out. And um, I'll be here, and then maybe we'll have a co-host at some point, or or maybe not. And also, you have a book coming out. Let's talk about that. You have a book coming out um, less than a year from now or about a year from now? Yeah, in about a year. I have a book coming out about Tin Fish. Um, It's published by Chronicle Books. And, you know, you might get an email from me next year (laughs) asking if I can be a a guest on the Taste Podcast. Yeah, I think we might have you back for that. But, you know, we we were like, okay, so what kind of going away party can we have for Anna and – will involve, um, you know, going to a bar in Midtown and having awkward conversations with people we don't know. No, that's not actually what we're doing. What we're doing is something that's related to our favorite food on the Taste podcast and in the pages of Taste. We have a favorite food, right? We definitely have a favorite food. Matt and I have the same favorite food. We talk about it all the time. We definitely have hinted to it like in Easter eggs along the way, like on the Taste podcast. In writing, we've done for taste. Um, and that food is basically uh, Reese's objects. Reese's shapes. So not Reese's pieces, to be clear. Not a great food. Um, not Reese's, um, like, adjacent, adjacent. But anything that is, revolves around the shape of Reese's. The shapes are definitely where it's at, yeah, more than sh- anything else. Um, so... For this episode, we've asked our longtime producer, Pat Stango, to join us. Pat, say some shit on the mic. Hello, this is me. I exist. This is my voice. People (laughs) must be freaking out now to to finally hear me after all this time. All this time. I mean, since 2018, you've been sitting in the room. You've been where the room where it happens. Oh, yeah. I've been uh, dialing the knobs and and, uh, putting headphones on and all the things that need to be done. You have a favorite guest from the past 100 and I think we're probably up to 109 by now, 108. I mean, uh, let's see if I could make myself my own favorite guest. Okay. We'll see. I like that. That's, I like but they've that all been good. Straight, they've all, straight they've hype all been man. great episodes. Yeah. Um, hype man from South. I love that about Pat. Mm-hmm. No, but it's great to have you on, on the show. But um, Anna, what are we going to be doing right now? All right. So basically, um, we had this idea to just like eat a lot of Reese's stuff. Um, I actually, I I reached out to Hershey last week and gave them a heads up that a very popular podcast would be like tasting some products and just said, you know, like just kind of shamelessly, do you want to send us anything? Um, the response I got back was like the politest version of get a life I've ever heard. It was just like. We so appreciate how, what a loyal customer you are. We love that so much about you. Um, definitely look for coupons in your local <laughs> newspaper. Like it was just kind of like you're on your own. Please never email us again. They were basically like, so for your enthusiasm, we are giving you the advice to look for coupons. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was really, you know, it was really polite, as I said. Yeah, very polite. So we were kind of left to our own dis- devices, which is how you know that this is not a sponsored segment in no. any way. We're not receiving any money. We, in fact, 
paid money to do this. We did. We paid money. So we, we curated a list of, I think we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine Reese's shape-ish products that we um, bought mostly on Amazon. <laughs> Yeah. Not from the official stores either. Which was Are these used? <laughs> okay. Potentially, Pat, maybe. I don't know if they're used, but some of them are dusty. Like, some of them, like, look like they've maybe been in someone's basement for five to ten years. Cool. Classic food. <laughs> Pulling Definitely, out some dusty tracks. Like, some of these are discontinued and, like, maybe also never existed. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely not from the official sources. And I think... Um, there's definitely a coat of, like, white powder on a few of them. Um, <laughs> not sure if that's good or bad. Oh, it's got to be good. Dust. It's dust. I mean, you bought on Amazon. Of course it's going to be totally safe, right? Yeah. Um, so I think what we're going to do is um, maybe take uh, – we'll go around the room. Um, each of us – well, I'll start and I'll grab one of them and I'll kind of explain it and then we'll taste it and then everyone will give their their feedback and then we'll continue through the, the tasting. So the first one – that I have, um, am holding in hand. We're all holding is a is a small peanut brittle cup. Now, when we got the bag of this peanut brittle cups, and these are like the tiny cups, not the like the medium or the large cups. The 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 smell of peanut brittle um, waft not just um, out of the bag, but out of the box. So when we, the box landed on our desk from Amazon, we actually smelled something in that box. It's so true. I also should mention that we could not buy this product in fewer than the quantity of like, I think it was like four bags of them. Yes. So we have like four pounds of these. If anyone, you know, is in Midtown and wants to pick up a couple. Um, first observation, when I'm trying to unwrap the that iconic, you know, brown uh, sheet that r- wraps all the cups, um, it's not really separating <laughs> In the best way. <laughs> it's very sticky. And so this is also like a very pale colored cup, like not chocolate. I don't know if uh, the cup is made of peanut butter, if it's made of brittle substance. Mm, chewing sounds will be a part of this segment. What do you think, Pat? Oh, I like it. You like it? Oh. I feel like a lot of these are going to taste very similar. Wow. But. I don't know. It's. So, so is it a white chocolate? Is that what's going on here? Or is this a. I'm getting, I don't know, I'm getting more maple than anything. Yeah, it almost tastes like an artificial maple coating. Oh, it has a little kick to it. A little kick to it? Not in a great way. No. This is going to turn into, um, (laughs) like, hot ones where, like, the heat just builds (laughs) with every Mm. bite. Well, um. I'm sweating already. um, Yeah, that one, that one was not good. So, Pat, what's the next one we want to pick up? Let's do the uh, what is this? The long stick? What is these called? Um, Reese's sticks. The Reese's. So Ooh, are these yeah. classic? These seem like I've I've seen these before. I think it's classic. I mean, yeah. it's it's a nice uh, like styrofoamy wafer cookie layered with peanut butter and covered in chocolate. It looks like a kind of like those Nutter butters, but like a smaller version, like Twix size, mm-hmm. but Nutter butter. Totally. Um, I've never been a fan of the. When Reese's joins up with other categories, I'm not a huge fan of that. When Reese's, like Reese's, this is like a Twix Reese's. Yes, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Mmm. Yeah, it's okay, but it's no, it's fake Twix, and I'd just rather have Twix. Yeah. Do you remember peanut butter Twix? No. They don't make them anymore. Peanut butter Twix. 
I actually, now that you say that, I think I have tried that. Was it the cookie chocolate? Did they yes. do like a chocolate cookie? It was a dark cookie and it was yeah. a layer of really, really good peanut butter. Like, like kind of like Reese's level, mm. I'd say. I really, I used to really like the um, limited edition coconut Twix that was sort of like the Girl Scout cookie uh, Samoas. Because it was like oh, cookie, yeah. coconut, caramel, chocolate. Really good. Surprisingly good. How many of these do you have up in the office? Ten thousand of these fake. Ooh, are you are you asking for the the surplus? You want you want one? I mean, listen, I could always I could always unload them on the street. I you know, there's there's always people who want. Are you not fake finishing twix. yours? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna just say doing some. a tiny. Bite. Wait, are you guys are just tasting. Is yeah, this like a tasting? A, yeah, we're doing a little nibbling. Like you're like you're like you're 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 a professional, like a wine <laughs> professional. Like I don't, yeah, I don't sip I, and drink. You know what? I kind of want. What's what do they call it in wine tastings where they have the bucket to spit in? Mm, spit bucket? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. That would be disgusting. You want to pick one up, Anna? This. What's your next? What's okay? Um, ha- let's try the Reese's Fast Break. I don't know how I'm gonna feel about Ooh. this. It's like a layer of nougat, layer of peanut butter, all covered in chocolate. Now, the Fast Break category has always intrigued me because I feel like it's almost like when um, those cigarette companies were having cartoons um, market to children. Mm-hmm. Like this is like marketing a a candy bar as potential health food. I feel like Fast Break is like, this is like a Nutri-Grain bar or mm. a, a, a athletic bar. Right, That's what right. I always think about. But aren't all candy bars kind of like that? Yeah. Like the whole Snickers, uh, you know, marketing campaign where it's like, you're grumpy because you're hungry. Buy an entire candy bar and eat it in one sitting. Yeah, it's not going to make you less hungry. Right, yeah. It's, just, it's not really food. It I might like make this. you grumpier. <coughs> yeah. Oh, this is caramely. The fast break is pretty good. Not bad. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite so far. I guess I like a soft chocolate. Yeah, you're more of the soft. Yeah, I like, mm-hmm. mm, I can't even talk. It's like too caramely for me. It's, it's messing with the roof of my mouth. Mm-hmm. I like that there's sort of, you know, like the bottom layer is like soft but chewy, and then it's just like soft peanut butter on top. I like that there's that, like, you know, different types of soft I agree. Mm-hmm. It's layered a in. It's interesting. Back to the um, the conversation about about Snickers. Remember Snickers satisfies you? Like hangry marketing tactics mm-hmm. from the from the late 80s, early 90s. Extremely smart. Totally. More yeah. we need more of that like fear mongering about mm-hmm. hangry behavior. Yeah, oh, we need yeah. more fear mongering for sure. Mm. We do. Definitely more fear mongering in marketing. Um, let's move on. I'm gonna actually go go big right now, and we're actually looking at an egg. This is the Reese's yeah. peanut butter egg. Now we're about a month and change out of Easter. Um, so this potentially was part of an Easter campaign for the um, special shapes. And just to remind listeners, we'll, we'll zoom out a bit and, and remind that, that you know Reese's is known for their seasonal shapes, and we we may have one here in the future. But you know, there's a Valentine's Day heart, there's a Christmas tree tree, and of course there's the Easter egg. This is more the three dimensional. I guess it's all three dimensional because it's an object. So it's more of like the um, iconic egg versus the flattened egg. Uh, Reese's shapes. This is like the real, like the one you're gonna like get at the counter versus the one you're gonna get in the back of the of the CVS, right? Yeah, and they're individually foil wrapped, kind of like a Cadbury yeah. cream egg. Ooh, Cadbury. Yeah. Also, th- another note is like this is filled with quote unquote peanut butter cream, Ooh. which is different from the you know the holiday shapes, which are filled with quote unquote peanut butter. <laughs> quote unquote the good <laughs> so, <laughs> Right. Yeah. So this has a slightly different filling. 
Another note quickly is that um, I've bought Reese's holiday lights around Christmas, <laughs> and it's just the same mold they use for the eggs, and they just like package them in a little box that makes it look like a <laughs> string of lights. I mean, smart, but also uh, I feel a little deceived by that. Did you, you consider her- returning them after you got it? <laughs> yeah, or at least writing into mm-hmm. them to them, give them some feedback. Do you think trees and hearts can be kind of merged together in some way? Like the extra hearts go, go become trees? Maybe. Mm. I mean, what might be more likely is that the extra, all of the shapes <laughs> become um, another product that we bought called Mystery Shapes, Mm. which was just a bag of um, generically wrapped Reese's Shapes. Presumably each one, when we open it, will be a different shape. This egg is killing me, ma'am. Wow. It's really sweet. So sweet. Yeah, Mm. I'm not a fan of peanut butter. I guess I like peanut butter, but not peanut butter cream. Yeah. It's not even in the same genre of, like, the traditional Reese's Shapes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It seems, yeah, I think the layer of chocolate is a little too thick with the egg, and the cream is, like, too much probably, like, probably, like, vegetable shortening or something they use to, like, make it creamy. <laughs> Wait, are we getting into, like, the base products of these? Because, like, that's a scary conversation <laughs> no, that maybe we right. should go there. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, but never I, look at ingredients. <laughs> I'm just talking about, like, what I perceive um, the peanut butter cream to be like, which is, like, slightly too creamy to be delicious and, like, slightly too sweet. Pat, your choice. Um, we got let's more to go. go with. Uh, oh, let's go mystery shape. All right, mystery shape. As you okay. were just saying, Anna, there's no shape here. I'm starting to taste um, bitter, like as an aftertaste. <laughs> Something I ate is causing bitter. Isn't that like one of the signs you're being poisoned? I was just interviewing a uh, forager. She's like, well, you know, you're pretty safe if you have a little taste, but if it tastes like really bitter, then you're kind of getting towards poison. What? I did not know that. Oh, what a way to send Anna off. Yeah, she's yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Anna's last episode. <laughs> Anna is poisoned. <laughs> okay. It is a catchy uh, title for a podcast episode. Epicat. Sponsored by Epicat. Epicat. Yeah. Oh. Um, okay, so my shape is like, I want to say maybe this is meant to be a Christmas stocking. You guys oh. seen this? It's like a slate J, like backwards L shape. Yep. A little hard to tell. Kind of like lumpy. Uh-huh. What did you both get? Uh, mine looks like the state of Iowa. Huh. Um, when it's on its side. So I think it might be an Iowa-themed shape. Yeah, sure. Like Iowa caucus coming up, you know, straw poll. Maybe more for like a, the, the political season, mm-hmm. you know? Sure, yeah. There you go. Mine is, mine is a boot, but... The person has like, I don't know, a lump at the bottom of their foot that's protruding out because it's it's a really oh, lumpy Italy. boot. Oh, it could be. Oh, Italy and yeah. I mean, Pasquale. listen, I am Italian. Pasquale. Yeah, I. Uh, oh, there, there we go. They know. <laughs> they, they know. Knew. They find you. Yeah, with this lumpy. <laughs> you can run, boot but you can't Italy. hide. Pasquale. All right, let's see how Italy tastes. Mm. Yeah, not bad. I mean, definitely better than the egg. Side of ragu needed? Yeah, yeah, needed uh, some marinara. 
<laughs> I really I like the mystery shape. Mm. I'm happy with the, the that product. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy. It's the most classic, um, you know, seasonal Reese's you're gonna get. Mm -hmm. It's fresh. You know, we've talked about this a lot in the office. Fresh versus not fresh. Like you get that. There's like a little dampness. When you open it and it's a little damp, that means it's fresh. Mm -hmm. That little, it's like fresh from the factory. Mm -hmm. It's like fresh paint smell for Reese's shapes. That's such a good point. I never thought about the dampness, but you're totally you spot know, on. Yeah. You, you, you got a little bit of, you can like, a little bit like remains on your finger when you touch it. Now, if you open it up and it's dry, it's like a dry, like it's like a dry asphalt. No, no, no. That's been like <laughs> the last season. Right. Like that first thing we ate, the, the mini cup, <laughs> that was dry. Yeah. That was from like Obama's first administration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Oof. Yeah, it, there is a sawdust quality to that first mm. one we ate. Okay, I, Anna, I wonder time. if I write to Hershey again and just say, like, I know you, I know you politely said never contact us again. But, like, if I just was like, can you tell us what year or decade each of these was released in? Just as, like, fact-checking. Because, like, I am kind of curious. Yeah, the, the peanut butter little cup, like, <laughs> ten years ago, five years ago. What are we dealing with? Mm -hmm. Can you also, like, at the end of P.S., I think I may be poisoned. Can we, <laughs> like, have that at the end? Like, here, Here is a coupon for some uh, doctor's <laughs> offices. Right. We'll give you some free advice of where to call. Yeah. <laughs> have a nice day. That's the auto response. <laughs> you want to pick one? Okay, I'm going to suggest a quick palate cleanser, <laughs> um, which is that uh, Matt picked up a jar of the Reese's brand peanut butter. Yes. So um, wow. shall we all taste what this peanut butter is so, like? Yeah, I'm, ex I'm really excited it, for this. It says creamy Reese's peanut butter, and it um, it's in the exact same shape as a Jif container. Mm -hmm. uh, of like G regular Jif or industrial peanut butter. So I'm thinking um, they bought a bunch of Jif and then repackaged it. Oh, wow. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, this could be. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> do you have any like manufacturing information on um, the jar? I mean, we should fact check this and just like look at what factory it's made in. Our friends, it's the Hershey Company, our friends at Her in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Okay. Ingredients seem to be peanut sugar contains 2% or less of a bunch of bad shit. So it looks just like regular peanut butter. Yeah. Um, I think most kids are going to think they're going to get the actual filling, right, in a, in a tube. But I don't know. Let's taste it. It left a real grease stain on the paper dish that I put the peanut butter on. So I, I don't know if that means it's good. Ugh. Ugh. I like it. I think Ugh. it has like a um, a sort of like honey roasted peanut taste to it. It's definitely sweet. It's definitely like pretty sweet. See, I'm getting more nut. It's like a burnt nut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that toasty it's flavor. Toasty. It's developed. When you just call it burnt nut, I yeah, guess it sounds it's a less burnt appealing. Nut <laughs> taste. Oh, I'm starting to not love this task. Yeah, this is. Um, this was a poor choice. On <laughs> this my is your party. favorite food, Anna. This is what you favorite said for your going away party. You want nothing more than this, and one by you're one, right. you're like, "This is terrible." You're right. You're right. <laughs> Um, I mean, the holiday shapes, you know, I can usually put away like a whole bag of those in a city and no problem. But as some of these other products are just like a little 
too sweet. A little too sweet. Mm-hmm. All right, second to the last, we've got a pretzel cup. So right now I'm looking at which is like it looks like a normal size cup that you or no a king cup, a little thicker than average, but it's called a pretzel cup because I'm assuming they're adding pretzels to the mix. Um, it's crumbling in a way that is um, that is kind of disturbing, like showing its age. This one was definitely from Amazon. That's pretty good. I like that. The pretzels are like broken into these little tiny bits. It sort of tastes like a peanut butter cup version of like a take five bar. Yeah. Have you had those? They're like, mm-hmm. you know, pretzels layered with peanut butter covered in chocolate. There might be something else in a take five, but I like this cup. Mm-hmm. Nice textures. Yeah, not bad. It's hard to tell anymore because there's just you, so you, much Reese's just mixed in there. I have to say, this is my favorite one so far. Yeah. I think pretzel and Reese's, I've never thought of that combination. It's working for me. It's really working. I know they recently had a um, potato chip cup, Yo. which I didn't have a chance to try. I don't know if it's still available. But I'm curious about that. We literally like the salt searched on Amazon limited Reese's, and then we went in the reverse order of price. That was the way we did it. Because, <laughs> like, you could order, of course, like 144 pieces of blank for, like, $28. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not going to look good on the T&E. But, um, <laughs> but the <laughs> – nah. Yeah, you'd have to resell those. Yeah. Get to make a little – yeah, make it yeah. back a little bit. But um, I think this is my favorite so far. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's a solid product. Um, well, it brings us to our last. Um, I wanted to pick this one for the last one because um, it goes back to the classic, the, the the holiday shape, the tree. This is like for many, this is the the iconic Reese's holiday shape. But there's an addition here that I have extreme issues with, and it's the addition of Reese's pieces. I don't have an issue with that. You know? Why do okay. you have an issue with that? Well. It's like um, when you're eating a Reese's, and that's a nice experience, and then you're eating a Reese's when you include sand in it. Like you're actually adding sand, like in the wintertime when they're sanding the roads because they're slippery. It's like if you grabbed a scoop of that sand, and you threw it onto your Reese's, and you ate it. That's what this tastes like to me. So like, do, you, do you feel that way about uh, M&Ms and things? Like what would you do if faced with like an M&M McFlurry? I, I cannot. I just cannot. Cold M and M's. Oh, I can't. I just like it, it. What it does is it mutes the um, it mutes the the flavor of the Reese's. It, it distracts actually. It distracts. So I actually really like this. I would not say that it distracts. Whoa! I'm opening mine now. Did yours look anything like a tree, Anna? Because I would I would have to say mine <laughs> looks nothing like a tree. It is. <laughs> It is just, you know, I'm not going to say what it looks My, like, but it's not a tree. It's not a tree. Now that you mention it, it just didn't look like anything. Yeah. I wonder if it ever, I wonder if it's just so old and it looked like, you know, they're like, listen, you should have ate it 30 years ago when we made it look like a tree. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the tree that's advertised on the packaging mm-hmm. also doesn't look like a tree. Mm-hmm. That's like, it's true. like they're kind of honest about... The fact that, you know. They never the bought a up. tree mold. Right, yeah. Um, I'm in the zone right now because I may have just slandered something that I enjoy. Kind of like it. This is my favorite one. 
Wow. Yeah. Either this or the what was the 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 one hour bar? What was that called? The energy bar. <laughs> Five hour fast energy break. bar. Yeah. Well, the fast break. I think this <laughs> the tree and the fast break are my two favorites, and the egg is the my good. least favorite. It's like I, I, egg is the worst, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. No tree with Reese's pieces, really good, really solid. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go pretzel cup number one, and probably mystery shape number two, which is like the pure mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. regional, uh, sorry, seasonal. Man, I just like totally hit like weird um, sugar high cr- that crash is starting now, and like I'm saying words that don't make sense. Oh yeah, you should oh, definitely yeah. not drive in no. the next three hours. <laughs> you gotta yeah. get home. No, I'm feeling yeah. woozy. Um, Anna, what's your favorite? I'm gonna say the tree with Reese's Pieces is my top, followed by Pretzel Cup. Both really interesting texturally. I don't think I can talk anymore. I'm in like a little bit of a coma, like <laughs> shock state. Well, we got five episodes worth of intros to go starting now. <laughs> yeah, here we go. <laughs> Gonna do those intros right now. No, thank God we don't. All the intro. listeners could pick out which which episodes <laughs> involved Matt having to record after he was high from Reese's Pieces <laughs> candies. A little bit wobbly. But anyways, Anna, it's been a real pleasure working with you. Can't wait to see you uh, out in the world. And please come back to the Taste Podcast. It's been a pleasure. I will be listening to the Taste Podcast religiously. I'll, I'll write in with any feedback. I'll always know Pat is sitting silently in the room, mm-hmm. smiling with approval, or maybe frowning with disapproval yeah. every episode. Or texting when it's boring. That's like my big thing is when there's an interview subject and I see te- Pat texting. I'm like... I, I Listen, I got a lot of irons in the fire. You sure do. It's, no, you know, I'm, I'm Other podcasts and, Lots and other of work. things. A lot, lot going on. No, no joke. I, I'm always listening. That's No joke. Pat's, Pat, I'm kidding because you do a lot of, around here. And I remember, Anna, you got to rate and review. That's the, the main thing. Five <laughs> stars on Apple Podcasts, please. I will rate and review. Oh, and... Man. Look for coupons in your local newspapers. <laughs> Is your advice sign off for that. Always. Just my, you know, parting advice to you. Yep. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Anna Heasel. The show is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Our theme music is by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.